Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm. Here are your hosts, experienced lawyers, writers, and entrepreneurs, Heidi Alexander and Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the summer kickoff edition of the Legal Toolkit right here on the Legal Talk Network. It's time to hit up a Brad Paisley concert, put out the deck furniture, do some barbecue, and we're on fire here too. We're glad to have you back for another episode, and if you're a new listener, welcome. We're about to bend your ears back. I'm your host, Jared Korea, and in addition to casting this pod, I'm also the Senior Law Practice Advisor with Massachusetts LOMAP. LOMAP provides free and confidential law practice management consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP's offerings, visit our website at masslomap.org. You can buy my book, Twitter in One Hour for Lawyers, from the American Bar Association on iTunes, through Amazon, and probably at a bunch of other places I don't even know about yet. My co-host, Heidi Alexander, will get you back next month. Here on the Legal Toolkit, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. And of course, this episode of the Legal Toolkit is no different. Today, we're going to talk about virtual staff, how to get them, how to manage them. To do that, I'm joined by Chad Burton. Now, Chad is a delightful fellow and the founding attorney of Burton Law, where he represents businesses and individuals in litigation and serves as outside general counsel to small and mid-sized businesses. He's active in the Dayton and Ohio State Bar Associations, having held a number of leadership positions. Chad also volunteers his time for a number of community improvement organizations and won the 2008 Ohio State Bar Association Community Service Award for Lawyers Under 40. And I won't ask him if he still qualifies for that award. Chad's been named a rising star by the Ohio State Super Lawyers publication as well. Chad, welcome to the big show. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate being here. And I've got time left on the, the, the uh, to reach 40, so I think I'm, I may have peaked early on the community service <laughs> aspect, so I think I can retire from that now. <laughs> That's what you do. You start early and you quit by about the time you turn 38. Nothing That's wrong right. with that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into the questions here. So, Chad, like every other business, law firms are trying to save money. And even apart from the question of whether a lawyer has a full-scale virtual practice or not, which I know you do, why does it make sense from a cost perspective to hire virtual staff? Well, there are various forms of virtual staff. I mean, there are different ways you can do this. So there are some virtual assistant firms that will provide uh, a lot of the same type of admin-related services that maybe an on-site legal assistant could provide. There are those such as Ruby Receptionist that does just does phone answering. So, and then you know there there are some interesting kind of models popping up. Um, that I think we'll talk about maybe later on here, like Fancy Hands and others, where they're very limited in scope as to the types of services that they provide, but what happens when you jump into this virtual staff world is that you are creating a different relationship with those that you're working with. It's more of a business relationship because you're not hiring the virtual staff 
as employees, you're contracting for the work. You're outsourcing this work. So you, you're, you're controlling your costs differently. You're not paying for a full or part-time employee. Oftentimes, it's on a uh, monthly retainer type scenario, or you pay by the hour so you can scale the work as you need it. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, fancy hands is what they used to call me in college, by the way, but we won't get into that. Um, if we have time, I think we should. <laughs> perhaps at the end. <laughs> so it makes sense from a financial perspective, it sounds like. How about from a workflow perspective? How does it make sense to have um, virtual staff for that aspect? And uh, if there's some difficulties in managing the workflow, how do you get around that? Well, it depends. Uh, you know, the idea of outsourcing virtual to a virtual staff works both if you have a traditional brick and mortar setting from a law firm and perhaps what you mentioned earlier about the the virtual law firm model, which basically means we work in a mobile environment. So Mm. I'm not on site on a regular basis. We have centralized office space that we use for meetings and uh, when necessary, but otherwise I work remotely. And that works well. So if you're working with virtual staffing, they're doing the same. So you're really working under those same types of environments. So that that helps with it. And then when you start getting into different types of technology, let's say cloud computing, uh, if you're if you've adopted cloud-based technology, for example, our firm uses Clio as a law practice management platform and uh, Box manage our documents, direct law to manage our online delivery of services. So these types of uh, platforms can be accessed from anywhere because they're cloud-based. So as long as you have an internet connection, you can access them. And so you can give access as much as you're comfortable with to virtual staff, depending upon the types of projects that they're working on, to be able to, to access that information, even though they're remote. So it really makes for a nice workflow environment that is uh, comparable to what somebody might think of as a traditional type of setup because the, you know, the virtual assistants can get in and access documents, put text on letterhead, do transcription, all the things that you would expect from maybe an on-site type employee. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, especially for lawyers who are working virtually already. Um, all right, Chad, so let's move on to the next question here. So. As every managing attorney listening out there, I think, knows, there's a number of functions that run through law firms on a daily basis. So let's talk about specific virtual services. At a baseline, what should firms be looking at accessing? And are there any services that you don't feel comfortable virtualizing yet? We work with um, a company called Interactive Assistance, and they have access to um, Box. Clio to be able to help us manage our matters. So we you know, have put the right precautions in place as far as making sure that you know, client confidential information is protected. And that could be a whole other podcast that I'm not really volunteering for, but I'm just saying it's a long <laughs> subject. That, you um, just did. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I need to think through this before I talk. <laughs> but you know, putting the right you know, precautions in place to make sure our client information is uh, secure. And uh, so from that standpoint, we have engaged our uh, virtual assistants in all those different types of areas. So from phone answering with Ruby receptionists to using interactive assistants to 
deal with our uh, client documents. They also handle bookkeeping for us. And um, so really anything that you can imagine that could be on site is outsourced. So do you have any quick tips for making sure that those uh, those uh, services you use are secure? Uh, well, one, you need to look at your provider you know, to make sure that the cloud-based, if you're using a cloud-based platform, to make sure that the right security precautions are in place there. Uh, agreements matter. Um, you know, for example, you know, confidentiality and, and you, know, you want to be working with you know, folks, uh, virtual staffing, you know, virtual assistants that understand the significance of what they're working with. So that's, you know, that's, there's no question on that. And they know that you know, when they're vetting team members, what types of folks you know, they need to look for on that. But you, you put those kind of agreements in place. It works a lot like um, you know, on-site staff. So if you hire a legal assistant, you're going to bring them into the firm. You're going to give them access to everything that you know, they need to do their job. And you're going to say, hey, this is confidential and privileged information. You can't talk about it. That is part of your employment. And uh, that's just how that works. And it's the same type of scenario. And if you have a, an on-site employee that violates that, uh, guess what? They're probably not going to be around very long. If you have a virtual assistant service that doesn't understand the need and you know, take the right precautions to keep data confidential, guess what? They're going to be out of business. So it works the same kind of, so there's the incentive to follow and understand this and understand the profession. So you want to make sure that you're working with folks that are, uh, that are you know, protecting that information. And then, you know, you can, like I said, it could be a long discussion. Then we could you know, go into the U.S.-based versus international-based virtual assistants. Um, we use uh, all U.S.-based virtual assistants, but there are uh, fascinating discussions out there to be had whether you could outsource some of this work overseas and how that, especially with you know, some you know, interesting uh, dynamics that have you know, recently come up with the NSA, and you know, it makes for very interesting discussions out there when you get into all these issues. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I think that's a. I think it's a good analogy to make that is in off in a lot of cases is oftentimes like having in person staff, and you're applying some of the same protocols. I think that's a good thing for people who have not gotten into the virtual staffing yet. And you said you don't use any international services as yet, right? Correct. That's right. Okay. So let's move on here and talk about uh, vetting service providers. We we talked about on the technology front what you need to do to make sure that your providers are, are keeping your documentation secure and your client information secure. Are there any other vetting procedures you apply when you're looking at a virtual service provider? If you're going to have, well, I guess it depends on what they're doing. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, uh, Ruby receptionist, that is a, that's a good one. We are, yeah. so we if, you know, work with Ruby and they answer all of our incoming calls for the firm. So in many ways, they are the first line of uh, the public can see, besides maybe a website and things like that. But they're the first live person, at, especially for new clients. And you want somebody that is going to be fill, filling that role 
in the way they should. And Ruby, you know, happens to have this small army of receptionists that um, that are the uh, nicest and happiest people that uh, you will talk to. And <laughs> they go out of their way to help callers and us. And um, it is it really just impressive. And you know, one of the examples I use is that we had a, a local attorney. I didn't really know this person. And they called or connected to me through Ruby. And this guy started yelling at me. And which is fine, you know, we're in litigation, whatever, you know, civility, yeah. you know, be damned, that's fine. But, um, but the, this guy starts yelling at me, it's like, well, what's wrong? I have been practicing law much longer than you have. You don't deserve a receptionist that's that good. I have been trying to find somebody that good for my entire career. And, he, and I didn't know what he was talking about. He was talking about Ruby. They were so pleasant and helpful that it made this guy angry that he was you know, just upset that somehow I had a better, which is, I mean, the whole thing was bizarre, let's be honest, but, <laughs> but it was a great illustration of the work that they do. So if you have a virtual receptionist service and the people that answer the calls you know, sound like they just down three packs of cigarettes, guess what? probably not going to be the kind of smiling sound that you want to have happen, you know, when somebody calls your firm. That's a, yeah, that's a, yeah, Ruby is a good, a great example on that. And then if you look at it from more of a, um, the kind of the more working, uh, perhaps one-on-one or, uh, more interactive with, um, a virtual assistant service, let's say, you know, producing documents and things like that. You, know, you still look at personality when you're talking about vetting teams because you know if the, if virtual assistants are difficult to work with, you know it's just like anytime you're looking for somebody to be a part of a team, you want you want the the right fit, and yeah. a person a, a personality that works with one firm may not work with another, and you just have to look at that and make sure that uh, it's all. Yeah, personalities matter, and you're working together. You're sharing information, and um, you just want to make sure that you know everybody's on the same page from that standpoint. Sounds like some traditional advice there. Um, this is all good because I think some people are very frightened of uh, virtual law offices or the concept of it. So you're breaking it down uh, from a traditionalist perspective, I think, which is useful. So things have flown by in the first half of the show. We got some great stuff from Chad Burton so far, but this is a good stopping point for our mid-program break. We've got a lot more to cover, which we'll get to when we return with Chad Burton. Now, this is normally the space in our show when we offer words from our sponsors, and this potentially represents a unique opportunity for you. The Legal Toolkit is seeking sponsors. You can hear your advertisement right here. If you're interested, contact the team at Logical at info at logical.com. I've been holding out for a while for pemmican beef jerky, but that may be a pipe dream at this point. I don't know really what that has to do with law practice management. Welcome back. We're joined today by Chad Burton, founding attorney of Burton Law, a virtual law firm. 
So we're talking with Chad about virtual staffing and virtual staff management. All right, Chad, what sort of internal technology tools do firms need to utilize to leverage virtual staff? I guess it depends upon, how's that for a lawyer answer? It depends. It's pretty um, good. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, good. That's, all. that's all I have to say about that. Um, <laughs> there's my you know, lawyer and Forrest Gump answer all in one. Um, <laughs> it, it, it really depends on how you're going to work with the virtual assistant. So what kind of work are they doing for you? If you are uh, looking for them to... Uh, manage matters through your practice management system, you have to have something they can access. If you want them to handle documents, they can, mm-hmm. um, you need to have a, a platform that allows for collaboration. I mean, let's look at who I mentioned earlier, Clio, for example. We uh, work with our virtual assistant service, Interactive Assistance, and they help set up matters. Uh, one reason is because I don't want our lawyers just setting matters up as they feel fit because then we're going to have every different way of setting them up and there's nothing will be uniform and helpful. So we get them in and they can, we set up a process and procedure and they follow that to help uh, set up matters. And uh, I mentioned bookkeeping earlier, so they can send out invoices through Clio and pop those out via email straight from the system. And so you want something that is accessible. That's why we use Box as well. Um, Box is a great collaborative tool that allows you to invite collaborators to selective um, folders and subfolders. So if you wanted to collaborate with a virtual assistant firm and you wanted them to only have access to one matter, guess what? You can just limit it to those folders and you can monitor what's going on. So if you want to kind of, when you're talking about the vetting and watching things, you can see activity and and there's a lot of great metrics, especially on the enterprise level of Box, to be able to observe what team members are doing. So that's, um, you know, those are, you know, important things. The the accessibility, I mean, with Ruby, uh, they, you know, you need email and text, we need a phone. That's helpful too, because they have to be able to answer your calls. <laughs> let's go, let's start basic and you know, start with the phone. But, uh, you know, they uh, alert you to call. So for example, I, uh, they have an iPhone app. So during this uh, recording session, I set the app to say, put all my calls directly to voicemail. And I did it straight through the iPhone app. And if somebody calls during this time, I will get, uh, they'll put this person straight to my voice, into my voicemail. I will then get a text message with the details of the call. I will get an email that has a WAV file attached to it that is, uh, that is, you know, is going to be sent to my email. Mm. So then I can uh, take that WAV file, obviously listen to it through the email, but also save it nicely into our document management system in Box or into Clio yeah. to make sure we keep track of all that kind of stuff. So it depends on what you need and what you're using them. So if you're, can be very basic, you could set up a relationship with a virtual assistant and say, look, I just want to email stuff back and forth. I'll handle everything on my end. Great. It just depends on how much you want to use them. Some people use virtual assistants for arranging travel, for uh, creating PowerPoint presentations, for social media, 
non-client related, specific client related type work. So you're, you, you're talking about different kinds of access there. You can also set them up to work with your existing staffing. So if you have on-site staff that perhaps is overwhelmed or you know, could be using their time for something else, well, you figure out what needs to be taken care of from an outsourcing perspective, and then you kind of work that arrangement from a technology standpoint and get the, get the uh, virtual assistant service the right tools that you have already uh, in place. And if you don't have those tools, chances are the right service will have a good platform to be able to use. Mm-hmm. Um, if we didn't have Box, I bet with interactive assistants, they would say, hey, you should use Box. We really like this. Yeah. And then we could either choose to uh, use it, you know, just be invited from the interactive assistant side so they could use their setup and just transport documents back and forth through theirs. And then if you know, we decide not to work, you know, any, you know, a law firm decides not to work anymore with the uh, virtual assistant service, they can uh, change the access levels and everybody can part ways very nicely. So you can look at the technology from two ways. What is the law firm side and then what is the virtual assistant service side? Mm-hmm. If you are, and you can get, you know, all kinds of nerd levels on this. If you're a Mac person <laughs> like me, you, know, you better hope that the you, know, you want a virtual assistant service to have uh, Mac compatible type you know, say, you know, uh, platforms yep. to be able to you know, access information that way. And that, I mean, that's where things like Box come in and Dropbox and Net Documents, where you know, these different platforms are. Well, Net Docs is not platform or computer agnostic. It's more of a PC side, but Dropbox yeah. and Box, for example, um, are definitely, they work the same on a Mac or a PC, so it, it doesn't necessarily matter. So you you can find these different ways to really kind of bring all the technology together in a, a productive manner. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think you also make a good point that you got to have the right policies and procedures in place as well, regardless of the technology you use to get people to work for you in the correct fashion. So. One of the things that may be difficult for having a virtual staff is that you've got to convert traditional management modes to online management modes. So, I mean, what do you do, Chad, in your office if you want to have a meeting with somebody or you want to manage people by walking around, which is a traditional little phrase, or you want to get some team building activities going? How do you transmit that to sort of the ether of the internet? First of all, I don't manage by walking around. That would, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Or even do you driving. drive around or anything? I just drive around. <laughs> Where are you guys? <laughs> I need, I need to see what you're doing. Uh, I'm not driving to North Carolina. That is too far. I, it, one, we we treat everybody like adults, and we. You know, but going to the team building side, I think that's in meetings, and we'll do things with. Um, we'll do uh, monthly uh, telephone conferences and. That has um, that we you know talk about updates, things going on in the firm. So we our lawyers and our main person at Interactive Assistance and and Tammy, our business operations manager, who's internal at the firm, will get everybody on the phone and you know talk about questions and and things that are going on. So we have that. We did that from a video conferencing standpoint, but 
people tend to be so mobile, we want people to actually be able to you know, get in on the phone as well. So that seemed to be a little easier. But then at times, depending upon what you know, we'll do video conferencing. Um, when we changed some procedures on how we were storing and the integration of Fox into Clio, we did a uh, a Google Hangout with video Google Hangout, and you know, so I could share my screen and and show kind of what we were doing there. And then we also get together in person. So that doesn't go away just because we're, you know, have this <laughs> virtual label. So that is still incredibly important to hmm. um, catch up. And, and that may be in the form of happy hours. It may be in the form of, um, you know, just in-person meetings. It, it really just depends. We have a, uh, uh, we have a, a minor league baseball team in Dayton. Stay with me on this. It's awesome. It's Dayton Dragons, <laughs> single A, that last year broke the sellout record for professional teams. It busted through the record held by the Portland Trail Blazers from the 90s. And pretty cool. And we have uh, a package of games there. So it's a way to get together on an informal basis. And we'll bring in you know, clients and team members, part, you know, people from the virtual assistance service, from interactive assistance. If they're local, we can bring them in. And you know, different ways... There's a lot of creative ways to do it to still create the collaborative environment and a culture that is productive, even though it is a um, a quote unquote virtual kind of arrangement. So, when do you get the Burton Law uniform patch going for the Dayton Dragons? Yeah, next season. <laughs> yeah, that's next season, 2014. <laughs> so, Chad, we've covered a lot during the show, and we, we've got time for one more question here, and. We'll make it more of a generalized question. So mobile lawyering is a big deal. I know you talk about this a lot. A lot more attorneys are moving towards a mobile environment. Um, if it's not the next wave, uh, it's already happening. Um, so what would you say to those attorneys and law firms out there who see some of the advantages of virtualization, but they're just not quite ready to take the next psychological step of implementation? I think what you do with and what I would recommend is look at your practice and you know, look for pain points in your practice. And if we're talking about being mobile, it is the idea of traveling. So we're in the vacation month, you know, time of the year for some. And you know, it used to be that you know, I would plan for a vacation and think, okay, these cases may blow up over the next week. I need to make copies of these documents to be able to have them just in case something happens. And you then walk out, you know, part of the, besides loading all your kids' stuff in the car, you've got red wells of papers, you know, and you know, things like that. And, um, yeah. and so you, you start looking at what's the, the, the pain points or the challenges that keep you from being as mobile as you want. That could be, Hey, I want to make. I want to get out to my kids' baseball games more. Um, what do I need to make sure I can access that information when that fire drill hits at you know 5 p.m. on a Tuesday? And that's kind of where I think there's a big blur between adopting cloud-based solutions and this idea of mobile lawyering. So you could have a quote-unquote traditional 
brick and mortar setting and use platforms that allow you to be more mobile so you can access information on the go. Uh, so I think that's where you start. You just look at your challenges and you, you start thinking, you start thinking, look, if I could change this, what would I do? And then you find what's out there. And you start doing the research or you go to somebody and get the help on it to figure out what the heck you do to get rid of that problem because chances are there's a solution on it. So you don't have to you know, become a quote-unquote virtual practice. And you just really you know, start looking at ways to better serve your clients. And if that means it makes it a little bit easier on you, that's yeah, that's what you're doing. You're you're serving your clients better <laughs> if you can get back to them. You know, if you can get back to them quicker, if you can. Yeah. Um, uh, we're just you know, having discussions recently. I've been operating off of my iPad and iPhone now for a month and a half without using my desktop, and mm. because I've just started, and that isn't. I'm not. Of course, I'm just playing on Facebook. No, I'm. I mean, I've drafted. <laughs> uh, I've drafted appeal briefs. I've drafted. You know, I've done. Uh, a lot of heavy lifting kind of deals responded to discovery requests and using the right apps and figuring that stuff out. So when I am on the move, uh, it's really easy to kind of access information. Of course, once you go down that path, you no longer have the excuse of, hey, that's back in my office. You know, you're now just, <laughs> now you're functioning at all cylinders all the time, which is you know, yeah. not a, I don't think it's a bad thing. Some people argue against it, but it just depends on how you want to function. Yep, absolutely. And then you always have your iPad with you in case you want to play Tetris. Thank God for that. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. And play on Twitter. <laughs> yes. And that's why you buy Jared's book, Twitter in one hour for lawyers, so you can play on your iPad all the time. I love it, Chad. Un- Come back on the show anytime. <laughs> un- <laughs> I'm happy. Ruby Receptionist is happy. Dayton Dragons are happy. It's a good day. That's right. <laughs> Interactive <laughs> assistance is happy. We didn't even get into fancy hands. That's right. Oh, next time. Next, next time. time. Next time. <laughs> so thanks, Chad. This has been great. A lot of fun, as always. And that'll do it for this episode of Legal Toolkit. Remember that you can check out all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So thanks, Chad Burton of Burton Law, for taking the time to drop by our virtual studio. Now, Chad, if any of our listeners want to find out more about you and what you do, how would they go about doing that? I guess probably the two easiest ways. Um, our firm website is Burton-Law.com. B-U-R-T-O-N-Law.com. If you're a Twitter person, uh, my Twitter handle is at Chad E. Burton. C-H-A-D letter E B-U-R-T-O-N. Thanks, Chad. Now, just don't call Chad on his landline because you may end up talking to a guy named Jack from Southern Louisiana for about 15 minutes. <laughs> you learn the hard way, Jared. That's how it works because I don't actually have a landline. So there's your lesson. All right. Thanks again, Chad. And thanks to everybody out there listening. Uh, we'll be back again next month with another show. Take care. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Heidi and Jared for their next podcast, covering the current business trends for law firms. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.